We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have a fun episode for you guys today. We have first leading off all the coverage from the first time the Browns have been back in front of the media since their Monday Night Football loss, getting back together, looking at the injury report, pretty much everything going on at Berea, I have you covered. And then we bring on a guest for our Behind Enemy Lines segment that we do weekly. We get Justin Mello, who covers Tennessee for Broadway Sports and some other locations, does a great job on the Draft Network as well. We talk through all things Titans from their offensive line overperforming, underperforming aspects of the team, the defense, why it's hard to run on them, and how the Browns are going to have to throw this thing to win it with a little bit at the end of some of his thoughts on who's going to win this football game. It's a great episode of the OBR Film Breakdown. All that and more coming up next. What's up, guys? Welcome into the show. It is a nice little Friday episode for you where the Browns, like I said, got together, had practice, media session, and wanted to cover that for you before we get over to our guest talk about the Titans because the Titans are an interesting team. Some dangerous spots on that roster and some roster spots that leave you to think the Browns could take advantage of it. Uh, all of that will be covered just a little bit. So Browns got back together today. A lot of defensive players talking in particular, talking about how well they're playing on third down. The Browns have only allowed a 20.7 conversion rate, 6 of 29 for the year. Um, Denzel Ward talked about wanting to become one of the best defenses in the NFL. I think we take a lot of pride in it, he said. We want to be one of the best. Uh, we want to be a top-five defensive unit. We want to do anything we can to help this team win. So I think we're on the right track, headed in the right direction. Still a long way to go. Uh, currently are tied for third in rush defense, second in pass defense. We'll see when they start to face some more competent offenses. Anthony Walker said third down is going to be a huge point of emphasis for us. We get off the field. You want to get. Um, you never want a team uh, to give a team free plays. Um, the communication stuff from Ward also important. He said, "I think it's about camaraderie, just getting together. Even though we're, um, you know, even after we're done here with the coaches and everything, getting the whole defense together, focusing on third down, watching tape, just getting a feel for everything." He says that continuity out there on the field when we're able to play fast and know what each other's doing. That's that's a huge part of it. And they've only played 109 plays this year, which is the least amount in the NFL as well. So if you've only allowed 130 rushing yards, 65 a game on on top of um, the pass defense, you got a good mix. They have Derrick Henry coming this week, which will create a, a different challenge. Anthony Walker said about that. You hear in our locker room last um, last week after the game, just a lot of guys wanting 
that single playback, right? He said from the outside looking in, you're like, oh, they're playing great defense. We played okay last week, but we left some plays out there, and they did. They left some uh, chunk plays at Jalen Warren catch up the sideline, a couple throws to Pickens. I think that they would want back that they can cover they can cover pretty well. So Schwartz said he's pleased with the run defense through two games. He said his two games were off to a solid start. Obviously, we had a missed tackle that led to a 21-yard gain on that play from Najee Harris where he cut back. Zadarius Smith um, was on the front side sort of setting that edge, and once that went back, he missed that tackle. He makes that 9 out of 10 times. Um, he said the consistency of not allowing the people to move the chains in the run game is very important to us. Obviously a big difference from last year, as you guys know. Schwartz continued, if we can make a, um, a team one-dimensional, then it can lead to more opportunities to pass rush, things like that, where we're obviously going to be a better football team. Just allowing offenses or preventing offenses from controlling the flow of the game and the tempo of the game are all things that are very important to us. If you want to be known as a physical defense, well, you better do a good job stopping the run, and we want to do all those things. They got some time with Grant Delpit, who talked about sometimes that chasm between the offense and the defense and who's to blame, et cetera, et cetera. He said, we have a standard to uphold on defense. He said, I don't play that side of the ball. I have full confidence in those guys, though, that they're going to get things on the right track. Sometimes things just don't go your way in any given game. But on the defensive side of the ball, we we got to keep going, keep doing what we're doing. We can't let up any slack. And um, those are all things you want to hear, right? You don't want to have that that difference in between the two of you. So um, Schwartz talked about, uh, you know, opponent red zone stuff through two games. They haven't allowed a single opponent to get in the red zone, which is kind of wild. He said, yeah, we haven't let anybody inside the 30-yard line. We're talking about that red zone defense. So not just red zone. Obviously, that's not going to continue, but I like where it is. And now that we're uh, either 0% or 100%, he said, I don't know the way you put it, but the less opportunities, red zone's a tough place to stop people from scoring. So it's always nice to keep people out of that range. And we've given up a couple field goals, but they've generally been longer field goals, which we've seen guys miss, Cincinnati games, stuff like that. We just go and play on the field position that we have. Hopefully we can stop drives, but I think probably plays a little bit into the third down where they've been so successful. We've made it hard to sustain drives so far. So when it's harder to sustain drives and give and you don't give up those big plays, albeit that 171 yarder, it does make it harder for teams to get into the red zone. So um, injury report stuff, which has been released uh, as we know it right now, right? The Browns are uh, dealing with a lot of players on that list. It's not unexpected coming off a pretty physical game. Um, the guys that they got back, the names on the list, um, the, the rest guys are Betonio, Miles Garrett, and David Njoku early in the week. So those guys didn't practice because of rest. Um, getting back... You get Betonio, Garrett, and Njoku um, all pretty much. It's actually interesting with Njoku. He didn't. He wasn't even listed as a DMP yesterday, but he DMP today. So one of he was actually the outside of Greg Newsom, who said two straight DMPs with that elbow, where his uh, his elbow got kind of buckled underneath, uh, trying to stick his arm in and knock a ball out. I think it was against Calvin Austin. Uh, we'll see what happens there. I, I, he came back in that game. Uh, hopefully, he gets into a limited practice status tomorrow that would be nice we'll like i said saturday's the big day or sorry friday's the big day to figure out if guys are going to have a real chance to go so if he dmps again that would not be a good sign for greg newsom having missed two practices but everybody else your limited guys amari cooper with a groin shoulder james hudson with an ankle uh, like i mentioned both newsom and njoku didn't practice Darius smith has an ankle and thigh he rolled that ankle in the game he's limited uh, sioni takitaki limited with a shoulder injury uh, Thornhill was a full participant both days with that calf, so that's a good sign for him feeling much better. Anthony Walker was limited with a pectoral, and then Jedrick Wills limited two straight days with a shoulder. On the Titans side of things, DNPs for them. Um, Gifford, the the uh, linebacker, was D, a DNP. Derrick Henry um, 
injury. He has a toe, but he's got some injury-related stuff going on there. Rest, so he was limited yesterday. He DMP'd today, so that's something to keep an eye on. DeAndre Hopkins showed up with an ankle injury after a full uh, you know, full practice participation the day before he shows up with an ankle injury. So, uh, keep that in mind. Anthony Kendall, the young rookie out of Bolton Wallace DNP the last two days with the hip injury. Uh, Harold Landry is limited. Um, I'm thinking Peter Skronsky has already been kind of ruled out of the game. Their offensive line. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And then Tier Tart with a knee injury. One of their predominant defensive linemen DNP yesterday was limited today. Denico Autry, also a huge part of that defensive line. He was limited as well. And that is probably it for the names that matter. Monty Hooker's in concussion protocol, but the last two days has been out there practice. So that's a sign that he is going to be back as well. So that's everything from an injury standpoint and an interview standpoint from the coverage of Brown's practice. So hopefully you guys got everything you need to know there to keep up to date with what's going on in Berea. We're going to shift over now and hear from uh, a great Titan source, right? We want to learn as much as we can about a team we haven't seen since 2020. So there's a lot of shifting moving parts. A lot of things are the same, but there are also a lot of new faces and and especially uh, calling both sides of the football compared to when the Browns got with them last. So a lot of interesting things to learn here. We're going to take a quick break, word from our sponsors, and then we will jump over to that interview right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals 
and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. Listen, the Browns have the Titans coming in in Week 3. There's a chance these guys could be 2-0 and coming back to Cleveland for a home game. You should be looking ahead at buying those tickets, and game time is the right place to do it. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, so we want to dig into the Titans. This is not a matchup that we see every year. Maybe as these two teams find some alignment and division standings at the end of the year, we could see it a little bit more frequently but the last time these guys got together was 2019 and then 2020 2019 the titans came into a uh, a browns stadium that was pretty excited to get out of beckham and absolutely blew them out the next year the browns in 2020 and the covid year come to tennessee in a game that i know you and i were just talking about a pretty forgettable game it was a 41 35 game the browns jumped out early titans came back late actually if i recall had an onside kick to make it really interesting at the end but that didn't come to fruition so first time these teams have gotten together in a little bit. Some elements are the same. Um, Ryan Tannehill started that 2020 game. The Browns have switched quarterbacks. They're in a different spot, but I think it's a fun barometer game for two one-on-one teams. So Justin, talk us through the two really tight games that you guys have had to start the year and what brought you to one-on-one. Well, it's sort of been par for the course for the Mike Vrabel era. It seems they're always in a close game every single week. And in all honesty, that's, that's part of the Mike Vrabel mantra. It's sort of we're going to play physical. We're going to play relentless. We want to control the line of scrimmage. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to play a you know a borderline safe football game And because I believe that my guys are tougher than your guys and we'll be the ones that pull it out in the end. And in all honesty, it, it has led to a decent amount of success for Mike Rabel. They've, they've won a lot of these four games um, throughout his tenure. And uh, first weekend against New Orleans, everyone was sort of excited to see a new look offense well it quickly fell flat on its face right the quarterback threw three interceptions just was not good in that game and it, it really did feel like Ryan Tannehill let them down in that one and he knows it and he, he kind of talked about it throughout the week well he, he got frustrated with the questions I think by midweek about his week one performance said don't worry just wait I'll let my play do the talk and I'm gonna you know come back and, and, and play better against the Chargers and he did. He was 20 of 24 for 250 pass yards, touchdown, also ran for a touchdown from 12 yards out. So uh, it was actually the highest completion percentage of his entire career. And he's been around for quite a while if you're using minimum qualifiers. And that qualifiers only got to be 20 pass attempts. So if he, if he attempted 20 passes in a game, this was the highest per, uh, completion percentage of his entire career. 
he was super efficient, you know, started slow, but he hit two deep balls, one to Traylon Burks in, I believe, the second quarter, and one to Chris Moore in the fourth quarter. Both of them were the uh, telltale sign of the game. They scored touchdowns on both of those drives, thanks to those long completions. End up winning a one-score game, right? That goes into overtime, hit a game-winning field goal from Nick Folk, their recently acquired kicker. So they're a tough football team. They want to run the football. They want to dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides, and it ends up leading to a lot of close games. So would not be surprised if Sunday's another close one with a physical Browns team here. Well, let's talk Vrabel because it's it's been a while. I'm not sure how many years there. You can probably enlighten us on how long he's been there. He's been through coordinators, right? I know Tim Kelly runs the offense now. Shane Bowen, who obviously there's a heavy Jim Schwartz connection there between what Jim and Shane were able to put together last year, carry it into this year. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in that dynamic, right? We'll start with Vrabel, kind of just how the organization's feeling about him. And then we'll we'll jump to coordinators after that, where I think the Schwartz dynamic is interesting. So so talk to us about the vibe around Vrabel and the job he's been able to do in recent years. Yeah, I mean Vrabel's been outstanding. He he, he got the job in 2018. They've made they made three consecutive playoff appearances at one point. Won a couple games. Went to the AFC Championship game. They've won two division titles. Uh, it's been a resounding success, and 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 they feel really good about Vrabel. In fact, I always chuckle. When I see him high up on these first coach to be fired lists, it's hilarious. It's ridiculous. Mike Vrabel's job is probably within top five around the league of job security. I mean, they love him, and, and there's a reason. He's won a lot of football games for them. I know last year didn't end the way they wanted to. A lot of injuries, and they end up losing seven games straight to close the year. It was a bit of a shock. They went from 7-3 and three to 7-10. and ten. So I, that's probably why he's being placed on those lists. But the thing about Mike Vrabel is... He raises the basement for this team. It's, re- it's, it's, it's just a matter of fact. Like He gets the most out of whatever talent they have. If you feel like they're talentless, they're going to be better than you think they are because he coaches them up. You know, that's one thing he's had to do for most of his time throughout the Titans. And it's why you know year after year when they went to the AFC Championship game, people were shocked. They came back the next year. They won the division again. People were shocked. Came back the following year, won 12 games, were the number one seed in the AFC. People were shocked. I mean, it's just a theme that Mike Vrabel wins football games. So uh, the organization feels great about him. He's got a lot of power. Uh, certainly, especially you know after they fired GM John Robinson, I think he acquired even more power, uh, so to speak, in personnel decisions. It became at least more of a collaborative effort than it was in the past, where you know GM ex GM John Robinson sort of had you know final say and first say on everything. So he's got a lot of power. They're a big fan of him, and I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. So we we talk about Schwartz, the the Bowen Schwartz thing. How connected Schwartz was to everything the Titans did. How do you feel that dynamic is? Do you think it is Tennessee will have a great feel for what Jim likes to do and Jim will have a feel too. And then that's just the big chess match who can kind of combat some of those things each team likes to do. I'm kind of curious. It's it's not been talked about a lot for this matchup because um, you know, he was, I know just an analyst, but it felt like he was pretty involved in what was going on there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think both coaches will know each other pretty well. I do think, you know, and I got a ton of respect for Coach Schwartz. I know that, you know, Titans fans and Titans were were sad to lose him because he's a phenomenal coach. I think he's going to do a terrific job there in Cleveland. In fact, you know, he already is, it looks like, through two weeks. But I I don't, you know, sometimes people oversell, I think, how involved. Like Shane Bowen said earlier this week, he was a terrific soundboard for me when he was here. And certainly, you know, we implemented some of those things. But it's not like the defense, you know, 
changed drastically in terms of identity or approach when he came in. You know, Shane Bowen's first year did not go well. We're going way back when a little bit here, but people wanted him fired. Well, they, you know, they did not fire him. It was probably the least popular thing Vrabel has ever done, but he got the last laugh because they essentially told you right to everyone's face, it's not a coaching issue. It's a talent issue. What did they do that offseason? They retained Shane Bowen. They changed over almost all of the personnel defensively. They came back and they had a phenomenal year under Shane Bowen. And, and again, Vrabel got the last laugh because he thought everyone overreacted. And uh, as a personnel thing, they can't, I think they replaced literally maybe 75, 85% of their starting defense that year. And it's been, uh, it's been smooth sailing since. This defense has been outstanding. It was great before Jim Schwartz got there. It was really good with him. It looks like it's going to be really good without him as well. Uh, the D-line is playing lights out right now. Again, really good play from their linebackers. I, I do think Schwartz will have a great feel for what Shane Bowen does because, again, he was involved you know, in those, in those game plans last year. But I, I also think the Titans, you know, have a good amount of, uh, you know, good, good idea about what Jim Schwartz likes to do. And again, remember, was a defensive coordinator there for, for, for a long time there in the mid to late, uh, you know, before 20, I think 20, 2008 mm-hmm. is the one I remember because they went 13 and three, I believe that year, number one seed in the league. That was a Jim Schwartz defense. Albert Hainsworth fooled everyone and, or the commander certainly into giving him a hundred million dollar deal. You might remember that. Uh, Jake way back when so uh, Tennessee certainly knows Jim Schwartz well but uh, you know certainly he knows the Titans as well yep so Tim Kelly offense taken over obviously um, you know a huge departure of Arthur Smith who's done really well so just curious with what they've had to work with how he's handled the offense since he started as the OC yeah they, they've been trying to replace Arthur Smith ever since he left Tim Kelly came in last year as the passing game coordinator. Similar role to Jim Schwartz, in all honesty, where don't think he was involved a whole bunch. People like to pretend he was. But the OC was Todd Downing, and it was a disaster. You know, the offense was really bad. Todd Downing got a DUI towards the end of the year. Writing was on the wall that he wasn't going to be back. They fire him. They promote Tim Kelly from passing game coordinator to OC. And certainly through two weeks, you know, despite what the offensive statistics say, uh, I can tell you it's been an upgrade. It's been a massive upgrade. Tim Kelly's, uh, you know, the, the the play designs, he's scheming guys open. He's making sure the football gets out of Ryan Tannehill's hands quickly. They're still running their outside zone with Derrick Henry, what's been bread and butter, but they're also running a lot more power and duo than they have in the past. And it doesn't surprise me because Tim Kelly was not an outside zone guy when he came to Tennessee. You know, he learned under Tim Kelly, uh, sorry, he learned under Bill O'Brien with the Houston Texans. That's where he sort of cut his teeth and eventually became the OC there. So he's not from the sort of Shanahan, McVay coaching tree that the previous three offensive coordinators had been from, which is, you know, certainly Todd Downing, Arthur Smith, and Matt LaFleur. So Tim Kelly comes in. The system does look quite a bit different. They're running a lot more pre-snap motion than they have in years past. It's It's been successful. I, I think if Ryan Tannehill didn't play such a poor game in week one, you know, those three interceptions, which were squarely on the quarterback, people would probably be looking even more fondly, uh, you know, on Tim Kelly because he's scheming guys open. The offense was cooking this past week against the Chargers. And as good as Tannehill was, when you analyze the All-22, you'll actually realize, you know, he left some plays on the field as the quarterback. So uh, really, really impressed with what we've seen from Tim Kelly so far. Massive upgrade over last year's coordinator, Todd Downing. So looking at the offense, you have two weapons. You went out, got DeAndre Hopkins, Traylon Burks in the second year. Um, I think Nick Westbrook, uh, Akine, I, I, you might have to help me out on that one. Um, seems like they're performing okay so far. It's early. Um, and then, you know, Chig is, is obviously an important part of what they do at tight end. And 
you know, looking at the running back situation too, not only is Derrick Henry, he's still Derrick Henry, but Ty J Spears seems to be coming into his own. Talk about the skill guys and how those um, players are, are kind of adjusting to the new system, like you said, and uh, performance so far. Yeah, I think there, uh, I think there's a better supporting cast in place than the general, you know, public or national media realizes. Like DeAndre Hopkins still looks good. He's he's still playing like a go-to receiver. Tannehill's looked his way when they need to. In fact, in overtime on Sunday, uh, certainly when they needed a conversion to get themselves into field goal range, they called a designed bootleg, and Tannehill found DeAndre Hopkins for a solid 15-20 yard gain. Essentially, kicked a field goal right then and there that clinched the, the victory for them. Traylon Burks in Week One, I. I thought was open and again that was on Tannehill didn't look his way as enough well what does he do in week two Traylon Burks streaking down the sideline comes up with a 70 yard completion that I think put them down at the five yard line and they end up punching the ball in and, and scoring a touchdown uh, so I think it's a very formidable one-two punch at receiver more formidable than most people give them credit for he's talking about the emergence of Tajay Spears he has been outstanding I mean He's eating into Derrick Henry's workload a bit. Everyone was shocked, in fact, in week one when Tajay Spears actually outsnapped him 34-20. That was very unexpected, considering that was the one-score game all the way through. So it's not like they, they had to go past happy and abandon the run. They just liked what Spears was giving them. They, they, now, they course-corrected that in week two, where Derrick Henry nearly outsnapped him, uh, essentially by double the amount. I think it was 46-24 was the snap count in favor of Derrick Henry. But that doesn't mean Tajay Spears didn't make an impact He's going to get 8 to 12 touches per game. He looks elusive. He looks dynamic. He looks every bit of the weapon that he was coming out of Tulane. And uh, they're very, very excited about him. So expect him to get 8 to 12 touches again this weekend against the Browns. You know, they've been sort of looking for this change of pace guy for years to Derrick Henry, and they've sort of failed in their search, right? They drafted, you may remember, Darrington Evans was a popular draft prospect out of App State. Took him in the third round. You know, ended up being a bust, could never get on the field, cut ties with him rather quickly. Well, Tajay Spears is sort of uh, the one they've been searching for, and uh, certainly he's been as advertised thus far. So you look at the offensive line, I think that's collectively, I think Skaronsky's already been ruled out. We're recording this on Thursday, so things are subject to change. But it seems as though that is the group that everybody is concerned about over there. How are they performing? I know old, old friend Chris Hubbard is starting at right tackle. Um, what's the early return on that group? So everyone sort of entered this year sort of holding their breath, right? Because the O-line was terrible last year. It was one of the worst in the league. Had a lot of injuries in the interior, but they got really bad play from their tackles. So what do they do? They come back, they essentially reconstructed the entire thing. In fact, it may even be fair to say they did reconstruct the entire thing because there's one returning starter from last year, and he actually switched positions. He started at left guard last year, Aaron Brewer, and now he's the starting center, and he's better suited to play center than he was to play guard. Um, everyone is sort of approaching this with all of a sudden renowned or renewed, I should say, cautious optimism because through two weeks, it's been pretty good. I mean, ESPN's, you know, stats and information, they're the 16th ranked uh, in pass block win rate and they're top 10 in run block win rate. Now, I know that stuff is a little subjective, but in all honesty, it passes the eye test. Uh, You know, Andre Dillard at left tackle has probably been their worst uh, player in pass pro but he's been outstanding as a run blocker. And I mean outstanding. Look, he's a he's a great athlete, so he's a, a perfect fit for that outside zone that they're running with Derrick Henry because typically he's just as athletic as the D lineman that, you know, he's sort of reaching on, the, you know, those ta- tackle off-tackle runs. So he's been great. Chris Hubbard, I, I know there was a lot of concern, and, you know, he'll probably have a stinker or two, but uh, I've been telling everyone this week, especially Browns fans who probably aren't a big fan, 
Uh, certainly, are, is, I'm shocked with his play through two weeks. He's been their best player in pass pro. He's given, in fact, he's given up one pressure through two weeks. Nearly, he's nearly pitched two perfect games back to back. So he's been shockingly good. And, and Peter Skaronsky, you're correct, already ruled out for this one. I imagine Dylan Radins will get his first start of the year in this game because Skaronsky did not start the last game, but they started with Xavier Newman Johnson, a second-year UDFA out of Baylor. Well, he gave up two sacks essentially on the first two possessions. They quickly yanked him out of the game, and they put Dylan Radins in there. You may remember him uh, as a tackle coming out of North Dakota State. They had a lot of hype. Hasn't quite lived up to that pre-draft billing, but he has become a very usable swing player for them. In fact, he came in at left guard last week, you know, cold, and played a really good game. So he'll certainly get the start this week at left guard over Xavier Newman-Johnson. And again, I thought he was quite good, so... Um, everyone's still sort of holding their breath because everyone expected it to be, you know, quite bad based on the unknowns, right? Andre Dillard, an unknown at left tackle, a veteran journeyman right tackle, and Chris Hubbard that hasn't been very good, a rookie left guard that's switching positions, right? Peter Skaronsky was a tackle at Northwestern. Aaron Brewer switching positions from guard to center, signing Daniel Brunskill to a low-value deal to come in and play right guard. And through two weeks, uh, it's been shockingly good. So, yeah, I mean, it's Chris Hubbard when he's been healthy. I always thought he was a really nice um, swing tackle for the Browns and did a good job. He even stepped in and played some guard, too. So if he's right, I'm not surprised to hear he's he's handling himself pretty well. That's that's good to hear for him. So talk to me quickly about kind of how they go about things. Are they an 11 personnel team? Do they do they bring either Wesco, Trevon Wesco or Josh Wiley in and play some 12? Do they you know, traditionally, obviously, the Titans have been a power run team doing different variations of stuff to get Derrick Henry into some advantageous spots, but it might be a little different now. So if they're an 11 is, is it Nick that comes in and plays the slot? Like talk us through that if you can. Yeah, they're still going to be running their two tight end sets with frequency. They signed Trayvon Wesco in free agency because he is one of the best blocking tight ends in football. In fact, uh, it's essentially how he's carved out a career for himself, right? Doesn't offer much as a pass catcher, Uh, He's had a couple pre-snap penalties that have been disappointing, but he has been really good as a blocker. That's what they signed him to do. So you will see a lot of two tight end sets with him partnering up with Chigakonkwo in those uh, looks. And then certainly uh, they move things around. I would say DeAndre Hopkins has played a fair bit of the slot so far. Now their starting slot receiver is supposed to be Kyle Phillips, sophomore fifth round pick out of UCLA, but he went on IR Uh, after he got injured in the final preseason game. So they're sort of rotating DeAndre Hopkins, Nick Westbrook-Akine, Chris Moore can play there a little bit. So you don't really have your designated slot receiver right now. I imagine it might be Kyle Phillips when he's ready to return. But certainly, and and Hopkins, you may remember, did some of that in Arizona and Houston as well, right? Where they'd move him around to sort of look for the advantageous matchup, and they often find it at the nickel in the slot. So uh, you'll, I think you'll see all three receivers. You, you won't see Burks there as much. He's the one that's going to stick to the boundary and you know probably play the X for them. But certainly Hopkins, Moore, and uh, Westbrook Akine mm-hmm. are all capable of rotating snaps in the slot. Defensively, it's an odd front group, right? Talk about the front seven or so, however many you think they're going to play. If they're, you know, everybody's a nickel team these days, but... Um, it seems to be a group that is dominating the run. Like you said, top five, I think in some, some metrics here for run defense, um, you know, talk, talk first about them. We'll get to the past stuff in a bit, but, um, you know, you could talk too about some of how they're handling the, the pass rush as well, because it's, it's a formidable group, not names, you know, Danico Autry and Tier Tart aren't names. I think that people around the league know, but these guys are, they're good, man. 
Yeah, they're uh, they're going to rush four and drop seven, right? That That's what they're going to do. And as you said, everyone's in nickel defense nowadays, as you said. They've got a ton of faith in their ability to get after you with just the front four. And that's going to be, typically speaking, Jeffrey Simmons, Tier Tart, Dina Kowatri, uh, Arden Key, Harold Landry. They move these guys around, right? And Arden Key's been an exceptional signing for them. He was outstanding in week one against the New Orleans Saints. Should have had a strip sack. Ref made a bad call. It is what it is. Tier Tart's taking a big step forward as a pass rusher. He's unbelievably quick. In fact, I posted a couple swim moves that he hit in these back-to-back games, and he retweeted them because he's an easy mover at 320 pounds. It's scary for a guy that's supposed to be a designated nose how well he's moving and getting into the backfield. Everyone knows Jeffrey Simmons is one of the best D tackles in football, but I love that you brought up Dina Kowatri because every chance I get, every podcast I go on, that's radio show, that's maybe not a Titans-centric pod, I tell everybody I can that Dina Kowatri is one of the most underrated players in all of football. This is one of the best free agent signings this franchise has ever made. He is outstanding. What I like to say is he's sort of the Derrick Henry of the defense because he's on the wrong side of 30. You keep waiting for father time to catch up, as it always does, and somehow he keeps fending it off. Like, you know, this year he's in the final year of his contract. I think he's 32 or 33. You're like, oh, the writing's on the wall. You know, he's probably going to slow down. No, he has been exceptional through two weeks so far. This guy is on the all-NFL underrated team is where Tina Kowatri belongs. So this is a very good defensive line. In fact, it's one of the best in football. It's one of the most nationally underappreciated. You always hear about the 49ers. You hear about the Eagles. This Titans team has held eight straight opponents to under 100 rushing yards. I mean, uh, net rushing yards. That is historical. Eight straight opponents. No one can rush for 100 yards. In fact, most teams don't even bother trying anymore, right? They just essentially abandon it and go pass happy because there really is no running the football on this defense. They very much uh, take on the attitude of their coach. It's a Mike Vrabel defense. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> loved the idea of Arden Key. You know, the Browns went out and got Obeni Okoronkwa, who I thought had some similar traits. But yeah, Arden Key is a is a very good football player. And you, you talked about Autry and Tart. It's, it's a deep group, man. It's a deep group. And they'll, you know, I didn't think the Browns handled Pittsburgh very well, not just on the edges, but Larry Ogunjobi gave Wyatt Teller some fits last week. So there's some cause for concern there uh, along that group. I know the linebacker group went through some change, the interior of that linebacker group, obviously here. So talk about um, how Aziz Alshayer is playing and then um, enlighten us who who's the one kind of maybe calling plays or who's the who's the key cog of that linebacker unit yeah it certainly is Aziz Elshire who uh, has taken on a leadership role they're they're thrilled with what he's done through two weeks again taking on a big leadership role he'll call the defense he's their number one uh, inside linebacker he's great you know defending the run can play against the pass taking a couple boneheaded penalties in back-to-back games I think he's had two of them one in each it was a little frustrating that you were probably avoidable but uh, he's playing terrific football. Starting next to him will be second-year UDFA Jack Gibbons out of Minnesota, who I believe is Pro Football Focus's highest-rated, uh, highest-ranked Titans defender through two weeks. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but he has been good, and he's certainly not a weakness. Uh, again, probably an unknown player around the league. He was barely on the roster last year, was initially cut during cut-down day, came back onto the practice squad, ended up playing towards the middle and end of the year due to injury. And they really like him. In fact, it's always a joke. Uh, he doesn't go by it anymore, but Mike Vrabel used to call him Dr. Gibby because they're like, 
No, he did not study medicine, but he's so friggin' smart in the meeting room. He knows everything. They started calling him Dr. Gibby. So he'll be the one starting next to Aziz, and they're, they're, they're very thrilled with the play they're getting from both linebackers. It's part of the reason why they let David Long Jr. reach free agency. He ended up signing with the Miami Dolphins. He was a terrific player. You know, Certainly Titans fans loved him, but they have not missed a beat with the linebacker play thus far. The secondary, a big signing, Sean Murphy Bunting, helps out at corner. You've invested in guys, Christian Fulton, Roger McCreary, right? Um, I know you obviously uh, spent a first-round pick. Uh, I believe am, – am I am I screwing that? Caleb Farley was a first-round guy, and he's on PUP. So there's been heavy investment in that secondary, put it that way. So talk to us about that. I know there's some numbers that aren't all too uh, encouraging with the secondary, but it still seems like right now there's a good amount of talent back there. Kevin Byard's been an anchor for a long time. And then is, is Imani Hooker going to play? Uh, yeah, all indications are Imani Hooker will play. He'll clear concussion protocol in time for Sunday. So they'll actually get two starting members of the secondary back for this game, it appears. Hooker and Fulton, who are both out against the Chargers, are on track to play in this game. Uh, the reason that Hooker has not yet cleared concussion protocol, so they're fully expecting him to clear same, you know, the way Denzel Ward did. So they'll get a couple guys back. Uh, you know, they get what I like to say, they get league average play from their corners. I don't think it's as bad as the numbers indicate. I think when people look at the numbers, they forget that teams essentially abandon the run because there's no part, there's no point trying to run the football against this team. So they go into pass happy mode and that leads to maybe a couple more opportunities. You know, they play rather safe shells. You know, I, I hate to call it prevent, certainly not quite that negative, but they do want to keep things in front of them and, and, and tackle you because and, and, they're great. You know, they rally to the football again, that Mike Vrabel attitude, and they want to force you. It's by design. They want to force you to string together a 9, 10, 11, you know, play scoring drive because they'll say, you know what? If you think you can go that long, we're gonna, we're gonna, we have confidence that, A, at some point, this pass rush is going to get home, right, and they're going to create a sack. They're very opportunistic at creating turnovers. They got two ball-hawking safeties in Kevin Byard and Omani Hooker. Or, you know, we're going to – you think you can run 10, 11 plays on a drive? We're, we'll get a holding penalty in there, right, because this pass rush. And we'll force you into 2-20, and 20 and we're definitely getting off the field if we get you to 2-20. and 20. So they play things rather safe. They don't want to give up the big play behind them. They get league average play from their secondary. Roger McCreary's been very, very good through two weeks. He's an ascending sophomore. Looks like he's taking a step forward. Sean Murphy Bunting's been hot and cold. I thought he was much better in Week 2 than he was in Week 1. Elijah Molden is a guy that they move around. You talk about how every defense is in nickel nowadays. Well, he's the one that benefits from that. He's the guy that sort of comes in when they're in those nickel, those frequent nickel looks. In fact, with Amani Hooker out last week, Elijah Molden played 100% of their defensive snaps, all 68 plays. They love their DBs. They'll put them all out there. Christian Fulton will be out there, certainly as their number one corner. You get Roger McCurry and Sean Murphy Bunting will play a ton of ball. Well, so will Bayard Hooker and Molden. So those six DBs are their six go-tos, and uh, they play a ton of football. Special teams went through a little change. Was there a stunning um, like feeling around getting Nick Folk in that trade? I know that um, some kicking woes have been a thing. We kind of can relate on that, obviously. Um, ironically enough, <laughs> you know, Cade York signs down there on the practice squad. But, yeah, I mean, seems like things are pointing in the right direction. The punting seems solid as well. Yeah, last year, Ryan Stonehouse, first-year UDFA punter out of Colorado State, had a historical year, right? Was, I believe, the best punter in the NFL last season. In fact, so good, convinced him to cut ties with Brett Kern, who, who you know might get inducted into the yeah. Titans Hall of Fame one day. Stonehouse is an exceptional punter, one of the best in the NFL, certainly has one of the strongest legs. Nick Folk appears to have solved those kicking woes. You know, they traded, I believe, a 2025 seventh-round pick. Uh, for him, based on how bad they've been a kicker for multiple years, I think every Titans fan in the league would do that trade 10 times over, despite his advancing age. 
I uh, already hit a game winner there, in, in, you know, in overtime against the Chargers last week. I don't know. I don't know if it was shock. I mean, he was on my short list certainly of one they might go out to acquire because they had two kickers in training camp. They cut them both on the same day, right after the second preseason game. They were both so poor. They just cut them both. Went a day without a kicker. Signed one. He came in, played really poorly in the third preseason game. So everyone wanted to cut down day knowing they were going to make a move. You know, you knew Dustin Hopkins we knew was a guy that was available for trade. Nick Folk, certainly the writing was on the wall for him after the Patriots drafted a kicker in the fourth round. I mean, that guy's not getting cut, right, when you draft a fourth, invest a fourth-round pick into a kicker. So I thought it was obvious that Nick Folk was going to be on the trading block. I was not shocked they made a move for him based on how bad the kicking's been for years and how bad it was in training camp in preseason this year. So uh, they feel really good about their punter and kicker. Certainly they've always felt good about the punter, but finally they feel good about the kicker. And probably the first time in a while they've had a, a tandem that they feel good about. Okay, let's close on this. Your vibe around this game. I don't I don't ask anybody who comes on here to make predictions, as the listeners know. I just kind of get like, how confident are you that the Titans will be able to come into Cleveland and take care of business? Um, you know, both you could hit on both sides of the football if you want, but just uh, coming off a big win, obviously Chargers are a team that a lot of people like, so it seems like the confidence is high. Browns lose Nick Chubb. There's some real mystery going on there, especially surrounding Deshaun Watson's play. So, yeah, f- fill me in on where you think this one goes. I know I've I've talked pretty good about the Titans this whole time, but I, I, you know, I, I like the Cleveland Browns as well. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you by any stretch of the imagination that I'm expecting an easy victory. In fact, I barely know if I'm expecting a victory. I, I think this is going to be a very, very physical football game. I think both teams have similar identities where they're sort of, you know, leaning on their defense right now to carry them. Both teams want to run the football. You know, we'll see what that looks like post Nick Chubb. Uh, but they want, you know, ideally both teams would love to run the football, control the uh, time of possession, control the clock, and certainly dominate the line of scrimmage. So I think this is going to be a very physical, nitty football, uh, nitty gritty football game. I think the Cleveland Browns have one of the best environments in all the football. It's very difficult to go into that stadium and win a road football game. So I certainly think that presents a unique challenge for the Titans. And I've been predicting, I'll tell you this, I know you didn't ask for one, but I'll say, I'll give you a final score. I don't know who's going to win, but this is going to be like a 17-13, 17-14 type game is what I'm expecting. Uh, I I think I I called on another podcast, you know, first to 20 wins. It might be a race to 20. If one of these teams score 20, I think they'll win. I'll, I'll end with this. I will not be shocked if the Titans win this game, and I will not be shocked if the Browns win this game. I, I think both of them, it'll be a close game, and, and both sides are very capable of pulling this one out. Yeah, two good defenses, two offenses trying to find a rhythm pretty consistently here. Very coin-flippy type of game. He's Justin Mello. You can find him on the Draft Network. He's doing great work over there. Obviously, can continue to look up if you're interested in more of his Titan stuff, Broadway Sports Media, Music City Miracles. You can find him where you want to find him. If you want to talk Titans, he's the guy to talk to. Justin, we appreciate your time so, so much, man. Pleasure was all mine, Jake. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's a wrap on today's show. We're going to get out the door quick. We have Andrew Spade on tomorrow to do our usual college football uh, look ahead and all of that fun stuff. We got we got plenty to talk about there. NFL weekend look ahead too. Uh, that'll be out for you on Saturday. So check out that podcast. And then you get your usual game day podcast for one o'clock kick uh, as well. So those are your traditional pods. We'll have those. Rate and review the pod. Really appreciate it. You guys have been doing that, and it is helping immensely. So I just want to say thank you for doing that. If you haven't done it, take a few minutes to do it. That always really helps uh, Browns fans find this podcast. Thanks for being here, guys. Have a fantastic Friday. Hope it treats you well. Looks like some lovely weather's hitting. So get out and enjoy that weather while we can. Those days are dwindling. Fall will be here. It will get colder. 
That's my advice to you for this lovely Friday. Otherwise, have a great one. Check out the podcast over the weekend. Until then, go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.